Welcome to the new episode of 100% Tilted, discussions with winning underdogs. We have in the studio today a really cool guest, uh, Major League Baseball player, Houston resident, Houston homeboy, uh, got drafted out of high school, uh, got called up to the majors in 2018, got traded in 2020, got married along the way, and has uh, had quite the journey. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. My name is Michael David. To my right is eight-figure CEO Anthony Milton. And we, of course, we have St. Louis Cardinals outfielder Austin Dean and his wife, Sarah Dean. Thank you guys for coming to the show. Thank you guys for having us, man. Absolutely. So how are you guys doing? How's, how's this year been? <laughs> well, <laughs> it has definitely been rocky in my opinion. I mean, how do you prepare for, you know, a national pandemic? Actually, not even national, just a global pandemic like that. Like, yeah. So life as we know it, in my opinion, has just been altered and, you know, sports and, you know, our everyday lives are, you know, just now forever changed and we never know when we're going to go back to normal reality, in my opinion. But, you know, this whole year was just, you got to take what you can take, but I take it as a blessing that we were able to even have a season and to be able to do what we did. And, uh, you know, I was still very fortunate enough uh, just to be able to play this year and just to be able to be a part of a team that has a winning culture and a winning mentality and uh, doing my very first playoff. So, you know, for a crappy year, I still take it as a plus side just to, just for the experience and just being able to get through it, you know, itself. How, I mean, how's the morale really on two levels? Uh, this has just been challenging for everybody, but as a couple, you know, has this been a, uh, has it actually brought you guys together closer? Um, and then morale as a, as a team. I think it brought us closer together as a couple. Just this is actually the longest we've ever spent together because this is the first year that I've. <laughs> is. This is the first really? season I've ever traveled with Austin. So usually I stay home during the season and work, and so he's gone all year, and I just go and travel usually just around holidays. But this year I was able to go with him the whole time. But I our relationship has grown a whole lot more. I mean, we had to quarantine together several times <laughs> and so we spent a lot of time in very small spaces together that is very true How's with two large list? dogs as well yeah. so, no kidding yeah what yeah. kind of dogs so we have a 100 pound german shepherd and then we have like 60 pound uh we call her a mutt but we don't know what she is she's got a little bit of everything but yeah, but I didn't even think i told her too i was very honest with her i didn't know how it was going to go this year and you know our rules that we had uh, by Major League Baseball were very strict, and, and I told her that we needed to make sure we follow them to a T and didn't break anything just to break protocol. I didn't want to be the the guy that brought COVID into the clubhouse and, mm. you know, kind of ruin our season a little bit. Uh, so I wasn't one of them, but I ended up actually getting COVID because we had a big uh, outbreak when we were in Milwaukee. Really? <laughs> we, it was So we were in Milwaukee – and I think, what was it, seven players? Seven mm -hmm. players that tested positive. Wow. And then we had to stay in Milwaukee for seven days, couldn't leave our hotel room. Uh, the hotel staff would bring us food, knock on our door, they would bring us breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We'd have to, the only time we could leave was when we had to test on the 24th floor, and that was usually about 9 o'clock in the morning, and then another one at 11. So we were doing tests wow. every single day, mm -hmm. knocking them out, just to make sure that the guys that were positive were still not positive. 
but eventually it turned out to the very last day we headed out. We didn't test that day. We land, we test at the St. Louis uh, ballpark. The next day I get a phone call Hey, you're positive with COVID with along with two other guys. So wow. yeah, it was unfortunate. We had little to no symptoms kind of crushed it out, but I was down three weeks. Couldn't leave our uh, apartment for three weeks. So that itself, I felt like it was challenging and, we managed to do our best, at, uh, you know, handling that. I felt like, but you know. how'd that affect the morale of the team? I mean, I didn't think it affected it much. I think for you know, you have guys there that have fifteen plus years of playing in the big league. So, you know, I could imagine that they've gone through so many hiccups through the time, and you know, probably nothing like this. But in my opinion, everybody stayed very focused and very driven and. I mean, they knew what the goal was, and they knew what we had to do. So, you know, a little obstacle thrown the way, they knew how to handle it. So I, th I thought the morale was perfect, and the, their business, the way they handled it was fantastic. So, Coming up probably from, I imagine, from Little League for you all the way through last playoff season, <coughs> prior to this this last one, always play in front of crowds. <laughs> right, from the parents' young Little League to the high school teams to the, oh, yeah. you know, the uh, minors and so on and so forth. How was it in a playoff game with all the euphoria <laughs> in an empty ballpark? You know, for my first playoff, like, game ever, you know, I think I kind of missed out on not having the fans. I thought that would have been cool. But still, the experience itself was still breathtaking, in my opinion. It will forever be in my, my memories and a part of me. But, you know, I could imagine, you know, 40, 30,000 people there would have been electric. So this whole season with no fans, I didn't mind it. I was actually kind of used to it. Uh, there was a, what was it? It was in Jupiter. It was our high A team there. And we get about maybe six to seven people there. And so, and then when AAA, and when I was in AAA in New Orleans, it was worse. There was nobody there. So doing that, like I kind of had, was kind of used to it. It didn't bother me. But for some people, like some guys enjoyed it. You know, when you get heckled out in the outfield, like myself, when, especially when you go to when you go to Philly and you go to New York, where people are not nice, really that harsh? Oh, they're harsh, man. They go after every single bit of any flaw that you have, man. And that's why social media—they sit there and they try to do every little research possible just to get in your head. So it never really works. Does but it almost become just comedic with some of the like? Uh, okay, that was I, good. I enjoy good it. <laughs> I sometimes enjoy it, and I chirp back at them, and it's just kind of like a little playful banter. And then some people little junkies out there mm -hmm. they take a little too far so with that respect because there is a uh there was a video that went viral mm -hmm. and some fans had stacked up some budweiser cans i think oh yeah it was a bunch of beer can like in a pyramid yeah. and then you threw that ball from the outfield <laughs> and you hit the very top can like ding was that were you aiming for a fan <laughs> <laughs> so the story behind that uh they had started that pyramid uh the pyramid like in the first inning so immediately, I'm already impressed that you've drank that many beers and got that high up there. Where was this? This was in Miami. Okay. So they, uh, the left center field area was brand new. So we used to have this big sculpture there, and they finally took it out, and they built this new little uh, tavern area. I, don't, I forgot what it was called. It might have been like Budweiser Alley or something. Mm. But So this is the first time it's been there all season. Uh, so, yeah, they did it in the first inning. They were prompting me to do it. And I kept doing it each inning, each inning. And I think by like the sixth or seventh, I'm like, all right, dude, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And so I finally go over there. I look at it. And in my mind, 
And I'll be honest with it. In my mind, I'm sitting there I was like, I'm going to try to knock the whole thing down. <laughs> right? Throw it up there. Hit A can. Just Please A hit can. A-can. Just A can. <laughs> really? We weren't aiming for the top No, 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 no. Never. Never was. I thought it would be way cooler hitting the whole thing down. Mm-hmm. I thought that was the whole point. <laughs> yeah. And then I managed to hit the top one. Never thought anything of it. Like, sick, dude. I hit, hit a can. And then uh, I guess the guys were videoing. And after the game, like 200, 300 texts. I had no idea what like what happened and go no, on social kidding. media and then <laughs> overnight sensation, dude. It was I still get that's like my stigma right now to me. Like, dude, you remember the guy that hit the beer can? That's Austin Dean. Like, <laughs> that's what's following me right now, which is not bad. I like not it. Bad legacy shows but, like, but when people ask me, "Is we trying to hit it?" Nah, of course. <laughs> Even after the game, uh, like Fox Sports and stuff like that, they asked me, and of course I said yes. You know, never admit it. But I, at this point, I don't care. I'm, I'm very honest about it. I was trying to knock the whole thing over thinking it was cooler. But you tell me to try to do that again, probably never in a million years. Really? So, that was pretty dope. Though. It was cool. Like, I, like, still going back at it. Like, it was very lucky, still cool. But that was a cool, like, three, four days worth of press. Did, uh, did any of the beer companies or anybody reach out to you? As so, Bud, to so Budweiser reached out to me when I got traded to the Cardinals. They reached out to me on Instagram, and they go, and uh, I think MLB had posted that uh, video <laughs> the day I got traded. I said, look who's going to St. Louis. Budweiser messaged me, goes, if you could do this at Bush Stadium, we'll supply you with a free year of <laughs> Budweiser. I was like, done. <laughs> so, but my opportunity this year obviously didn't happen because of the fans. Sucks, but, man. but I thought that was super <laughs> cool that they reached out. I was like, Okay. Can I get a rain check. <laughs> I mean, as much as I don't drink Budweiser, but still, I would have. Hey, man, would have taken. We pass up a free beer. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. We go to two uh, But that was that. The whole experience was super cool, and again, that's something that sticks with me forever. I guess mm-hmm. now at this point. So let's kind of go back. Um, so when did you actually? When did you first start playing baseball? Uh, I started at a young age with my dad. I think about three or four years old. My dad was a big football guy. He's got the football build. Never played baseball in his entire life. And I guess somehow I either slept with a bat, a ball in my crib, and, oh, that's fate, that's destiny. So it was baseball at a young age, and I guess I fell in love with it. And, you know, I I played baseball, and then I played all three. I played basketball and football growing up as well. And then uh, baseball was where I stood out. And my dad knew that. Everybody else knew that. And then when I was in high school, he came up to me and goes, you going to play all three? I'm like, oh, I want to. I like it. He goes, well, which one do you see yourself really having a future with or having a chance at? I was like, baseball, obviously. He goes, yeah. Well, why are you wasting your time with the other two? Mm. So from then, I focused just on baseball, and he was a really good influence on me on, you know, taking the right path. And obviously, you know, as a kid, you know, you're going to be tempted with, obviously, with your friends and doing things and stuff like that. I was always scared to disappoint my dad. So I was very driven on just, just doing straight baseball and, you know, having the goal to get just go to college. That was just the main goal was just go to college. And I think my sophomore year, I got a full-ride scholarship to the University of Texas, even though I wanted to go to Oklahoma State. <laughs> that was a little bit of a – I mean, at the time, like, University of Texas was the premier baseball college yeah. of the world, yeah. you know. So it was one of those things you couldn't take, they like, couldn't pass up on the opportunity. Mm-hmm. But, you know, from then on, I just, it, it was just a, pa- I grew into the passion and the love for the game. And then as you got older, you're like, dude, I want to be in big leagues. I want to be on TV with all these guys. So and it's crazy to look now, like I watched 
Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright, all these guys I grew up watching, and I finally got the opportunity to to play with these guys and to play against these guys. And and I even told them personally, I was like, dude, I grew up watching you. Like, this is so surreal. This is so cool just to be in front of you guys and, you know, your accomplishments that you guys have done and, you know, future Hall of Famers. And so I, I nitpicked every single information. I could pry any information out of them just to, you know, obtain, just to learn from them and whatever. But, you know, I don't think I ever regretted not going to college. I think I knew deep down that I wanted to just to go play baseball. Like that was my, my passion, my dream, my just mm-hmm. what I wanted to do. And, you know, never looked back since. <laughs> There's a book called The One Thing, and it's by um, a guy named Gary Keller. Gary Keller is the founder of Keller Williams Realty, worldwide realty firm. He lives in Austin. Uh, and in the book, it's a great book, and it really talks about, from a business perspective, the discipline it takes to know that you can be good at a lot of different things, but to just narrow it down and be the best at one thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with his capital and his backing and his infrastructure and the equity he has, he can do anything he wants. He can open up restaurants and hotels and anything he wants to do. But he stays narrow focus just in residential and commercial real estate, only on the representation side uh, and the transaction side. Uh, and he's very, very good at it, unbelievably good at it. Trains uh, realtors across the world. You think you could have been made it to the majors if you'd stuck with all three sports in high school? No, no, no chance. I know there's a bunch of my teammates that all played football growing up, and they managed to somehow stick with baseball. Even though, personally, I love football. I wish I was good at football. I wasn't. So, you know, it, I do personally think that if I didn't have stuck with it, I don't think I'd have been in the game. I think if I even went to college, I don't even know if I would have been where I'm at right now. Uh, I feel like I'm a rare case with being a high school kid, getting drafted at 18-year-old, and you're immediately, as soon as you get drafted, you're gone away from mom and dad, just like college. You're gone away from mom and dad. You're by yourself. You're around a bunch of dudes that either don't speak English, a lot older than you, don't care about you. You know, they've been away from their parents just as much as probably you have. So a lot of it was just having to grow up and mature a little bit too, especially at a young age. And that's kind of a lot to ask for for a kid. Mm-hmm. But I don't think my parents were worried in the sense that, I wouldn't be able to take care of myself or get homesick because I don't think I've ever really gotten homesick that much. I think I enjoyed being away and just playing baseball and just kind of the grind of, you know, the everyday life that we go through. Mm-hmm. So. so you were a sophomore when uh, you got the, the scholarship offer for UT, mm-hmm. that right? At what point did you all of a sudden hear or how did you find out that you were being scouted by the majors? I think by, so when I got my offer from University of Texas, that obviously completely changed. That started opening eyes towards all the area scouts, which Mm. are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. So by like the end of my junior year, going into my senior year, I started getting a lot more calls from the area scouts about meeting up, wanting to do in-home visits, talk, you know, do all these these showcases to get my name out there, to do what I can to be prepared (laughs) for... Uh, June 5th for the MLB draft. Mm-hmm. So I met with all 30 ball clubs at my house. Wow, really? Two-hour uh, conversations with them. And, you know, it's it was exhausting. Like, I, I give a lot of credit to my parents for handling that. Like, it, 
it, it was not easy. It was actually really difficult to kind of go through, especially for me being only 17, 18 years old at the time. Yeah. And without an agent. And without an agent as well. Really? His dad <laughs> acted as his agent going mm-hmm. through all that. So I credit my dad. We've had, we had agents come to our house. They wanted to represent me. And my dad was a very, he was very cautious about who we let into our little circle, you know? Yeah. So it was like sharks I, just trying pretty, to come in and get a piece. Pretty much. It was, it was anybody that could just grab on and, I wouldn't say take advantage, but kind of take advantage of a, a naive kid and, you know, family that probably doesn't know much about, you know, being an agent or being represented and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that I say by the end of my senior year is when I really knew that being drafted was a possibility. How did life for you change in high school when that kind of became known? Hey, everybody wants to party with Austin. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not even. A lot of people said I was making the worst decision in my life. Really? Yeah. Oh, you should be going to college. How do you pass up University of Texas? And there was, I can't tell you how many times my dad and I sat nights talking, just what am I feeling? What am I thinking? You know, what am I worried about? I think he deep down knew what I wanted to do. And he let me make my own decision. Really? Which forever grateful for and I think I made the right decision in my opinion what about your mom oh my mom was along for the ride she wanted me just to be happy (laughs) (laughs) oh my baby's playing ball (laughs) my mom my mom is so proud she loves I mean I'm not a big I don't like telling people what I do because again it's nobody's business and I'm just not a big flashy person it's like oh hey I'm a major league baseball player you know yeah Yeah. that's just not how I roll when somebody comes and talks to me and asks me what I do it's like yeah I play baseball Oh, for who? St. Louis Cardinals. And then that's when the conversations roll, and then that's when question, 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 question. Mm-hmm. They want to get everything out of me. But, mm-hmm. yeah, my mom's a very proud person, I'd say, right? Mm-hmm. What, uh, what's, what do you think are some of the lessons that you got as a kid coming up? Uh, and did a lot of that come from your dad, from your coaches, that really kind of – because it takes a different mentality, mm-hmm. right? Especially, I mean, from you go from, the, from Little League, and then you start going into to prime ball, and you end up playing for – you know, high school team that are getting scouted by college. Um, there has to be a particular work ethic. Where do you think you got that? Because you, nobody that ends up at the 1% where you are uh, did it because they just skirted by, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's a, a certain level of work and self-discipline that you've got to have, right? Where do you think you got that? I, I actually truly believe that I developed my worth ethic when I got into pro ball. I think I could, I felt, <laughs> I know, no, seriously. I, I always sit back and look back. Didn't I didn't like, expect that. <laughs> well, I, I know. I wish I would have done more in, in high school. I, I solely relied on uh, my pure ability of playing. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how important weight training was. Like, I didn't really start lifting weights until like, my senior year in high school. Mm-hmm. And from then on, after my senior year and I got into pro ball, from then on, that's when I really started the, okay, my body is very important. Because you go in as an 18-year-old, you're 175 pounds, and you get – 21, 22 year old, that's 220 and kind of stacked, mm-hmm. kind of changed your mind a little bit. But, but being in pro ball really taught me the, the work ethic part. Cause if you're a lazy dude, you're not going to be able to hang, mm. you know what I mean? So again, and that's when I talk about the maturity process of being a young kid, being around a bunch of older people that have been around there, have done certain things. So you kind of learn, you develop a little bit, but uh, I always, that everybody asks like, what do you wish you'd have done looking back? I wish I would have started a lot younger. 13, 14, getting in the gym and, and doing more than I could have. Mm-hmm. 
your uh, your dad was he was he a driver of you need to go practice or yeah I, I, I just kind of let you do whatever you wanted to do. I told I want I was more I wanted to go I wanted mm-hmm. to hit every day I wanted to go throw, and he worked. I mean he worked a lot of nights that even after his get home six six thirty he'd go to the field and go hit. Mm-hmm. You know we and then on the weekends the same thing we go hit at night go do whatever. So he a lot of time out of his his day that he could have spent with my mom or my yeah. sister but yeah. we spent a lot a lot of time together just trying to get myself better so so how many siblings do you have just one just an older sister older sister yeah she, she was li- not an athlete yeah. <laughs> sorry lauren sorry <laughs> <laughs> no she i tell you that she was no she was she did a lot of sports uh she played a little Those bit of softball she did track but we know who the athlete was yeah. <laughs> little baby bro yeah little baby uh-huh. bro had uh-huh. a, but I, I will say though, she did. She was a lot faster than I was. We would always race each other growing up. Yeah, she was. She was a lot quicker than I was. Surprising enough to know that about my sister. So, when when you got drafted, uh, describe that day. So the whole process was. So your very the very first day, the one that everybody sees on TV is uh, all the guys making the big money, right? The first mm-hmm. rounders, and I knew I knew I wasn't part of that. Uh, just from all the scouts I talked to, which, you know, sucks. But, you know, you still watch, hoping to get a phone call. But that, that next day process that nobody really sees is it's minute after minute after minute getting uh, getting phone calls, getting, you know, people getting selected. So that second day process was a little stressful. I think I got about six or seven calls from different teams. Hey, we're going to take you this round. Didn't happen. You know, it's a lot of disappointment and then, I got to a point where I was just getting so frustrated, like thinking this wasn't going to happen. And then, you know, I finally get the phone call. The Marlins had drafted me at, a, at 134. I think that's what it was. 134. And fourth round, I think. Right? And fourth round. Yeah. And I, I didn't like, we're, you're watching it on a computer and then live streaming it. And I'm sitting there, I was like, all right, it's, this didn't happen. And then finally you see your name. It hits, you know, excitement get first thing i did hugged my mom and dad told my love and told my you know said thank you guys for everything that you've done you know every all the sacrifices that you guys have made just just to get me to this point and you know obviously call my my sister who exhilarated still probably my number one fan besides this one <laughs> but no it was Were you guys together then no i hadn't met her yet i, okay. I didn't meet mm-hmm. her until a couple years after mm-hmm. um, but it, it was just a cool experience just to be with my family just to just to be a part of that. So, and I'm was, forever grateful for that. So real talk, honest, like guy to guy here. When, when you got the call, you got drafted. Was there like this internal going, Oh shit. Yeah. I'm a pro baller now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it really said it until I got there. But even then though, like the, the whole stigma of being a, a professional baseball player is just so far fetched. Like, like people think we live this glamorous lifestyle and it's so not, you know, people don't talk about the, the grind and the the struggle that being a professional baseball player goes through, you know, they see go through. So being a minor league baseball player, you may. Okay. So you got drafted by the Marlins, but then you didn't go to the bigs. No, that's not how it works. You don't go straight to the big leagues. Even with these big million dollar players in their contracts. Really? No, there, I think, who was it? There are very few. There are very few guys that have been drafted and it went immediately got called up to the big leagues. Mm. So usually, what happens when you get drafted, you go straight into rookie ball or short season, and you spend sixty games there, and that's your season. Next year, you come into spring training, get evaluated, they make the decisions on where you go, 
So as a minor league baseball player, you make less than minimum wage at McDonald's. Get out. You make less than that. I, I can recall one of my paychecks being four or $500 for a two-week pay period. And then you're expected to live and eat off that and find a place to stay at, all under budget. I understand nobody talks about Nobody talks about what what guys go through. And like, I remember I've had to stack up with four or five other guys in an apartment just so we could pay rent. And I'm sitting on a, I'm sleeping on an air mattress on the ground. Sounds like a lot of Totino's pizza. Oh yeah, you, know? <laughs> you can ask. That's that. like bachelor living at its finest. Hey, hey, how was sandwiches and raviolis? Really? <laughs> how was my eating? How was my eating habits? Oh, it was awful. When we first met, <laughs> he lived on Dino Nuggets and Subway. Get out. There was a Subway right next to our apartment, and if he didn't go to his parents' house for his grandmother to cook for him, he would go to the Subway right next door to us, and they knew him by name. I was like, you, you got a habit of this, Austin. This <laughs> is a problem. It was bad. So like when we like when we first like lived together yeah. in an apartment, I would go to my parents' house, which was five minutes down the street. <laughs> they had cooked me breakfast. <laughs> my grandma would, like either cook me breakfast or lunch while she was working, and then I'd come back to the apartment. So did you know this going in when you got drafted? Like, is, was there this moment of thinking like oh, I'm high rolling now? But then all of a sudden you show up and it's like, whoa, this is not what I was expecting. Oh, uh, that was the first thing. Really? Yeah. That I was, you know. Just hot stuff coming in, and then everybody's just as good or better than you. Mm. It was a reality check. It really was. So, me being the person I am, you know, I'm very, I want to say strong willed, but I'm very determined on, you know, proving myself, you know, proving people wrong. So, that was mm. a big thing, especially when you have a 16 year old, you know, Dominican Republic kid who's <laughs> better than you. It, like, yeah. it, it sometimes it kind of gets you there a little bit. Like, Nobody talks about, it, but a lot of the my Latin teammates, they are very good baseball players, and they come from nothing. Mm-hmm. Their struggle is ten times worse than what I went through. A lot of those guys, what they would do, their money that they would make, they would send it home to their families. There were a lot of guys that I played with that they wouldn't be eating. They wouldn't eat for two weeks because they were sending uh, money home to their families. No kidding. Mm-hmm. So what does the team pay for the hotel and the travel and all that? So and do they give you like a per diem or something? Or? Yeah. So during spring training, they gave you a per diem. I don't, it's changed every single year. I don't know how much it was, but it was barely enough for us to, to live off a weekly for food. Wow. Yeah. So they I, provided food for y'all at the stadium, but it was like the grossest meat that you could possibly. He would. I would just be like, okay, just don't eat the bread. When he was trying to eat healthy, I was like, only eat the meat. He was like, Sarah, if I don't eat the bread, I can't eat the meat. And I was like, why? And he's like, yeah, dude, we he's call, like you I, don't want it. I <laughs> called them prison sandwiches. That's what they were. <laughs> it, it was incredible, like, the concoctions that people came up with. Uh, I remember I'd, it was the same thing. It was a turkey sandwich every single day. I'd get some Doritos, crush them up, put them in there. Maybe I put mayo on there one day. Maybe I didn't. But there's guys getting tuna, some Cholula sauce, putting all in there, putting whatever they could just to change it up. Damn, but that happened. That happened. Right there. That happened for years. <laughs> they really? have since changed their food program. Yes. That was for when years. Derek Jeter took over. He like redid all their food so they could actually have nutrition. They expect them to have these high like high performance bodies and do all this stuff, but they had been feeding them garbage. Yeah. And Jeter came in and realized that because he had gone through some of it and saw what the like the minor league guys and major league guys were getting. He was like, right. "Yeah, we can't have this happen. Like they, you have to fuel your body correctly in order for it to perform correctly." Mm-hmm. So he took over the uh, Marlin stuff and made that right. So that's through that. That's through the farm team on yeah. up. Yeah. 
really. Mm-hmm. So they like a lot of teams now are actually putting a lot of money into nutrition for the minor league guys, and you know, when you're in the big leagues, dude, your the meals there are ten out of ten, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. They're very good. Everybody's got <coughs> your you have your own chef when you go on the road. They have a chef for you as well. Every I mean, for the most part, I think the food's really good. And then sometimes you kind of get your eh days mm-hmm. where you just get room service when you go back. <laughs> so that that was me. I would partake in that. Yeah. But the uh, when you were playing through the minors, uh, I mean, everybody's goal is to get called up to the majors, right? I mean, so you were talking about just everybody's kind of out for themselves. How do you how do you take a mentality where everybody's out for themselves to get visibility yet play as a team? It, it depends. That's so always fascinating. It depends because there's a lot of guys that I played with that are very me, 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 me. Get get my own, you know, mm-hmm. trying to get my way to the big leagues. I mean, I, I never went through that because I, I have such a very winning mentality where I know that it's going to take myself and everybody collectively as a whole for us to win. Mm-hmm. In my, uh, in my like stigma of it, I think winning is a big, big uh, factor into player development. So, a lot of teams out there they don't care if you win, and I, I think that's asinine. So what's the point of playing baseball? What's the point of playing a sport if you're not going to win? You're just going to go out there and just go have fun. Like, I get it. It's a it's a kid's <clears throat> game. That's what everybody says. Baseball's a kid's game. But you got to win. Well, that mm-hmm. you know, J.J. Uh, Watt just came out on this, press, on this uh, press conference and very emotional mm-hmm. uh, delivery of, you know, the season's not over. Yeah. You know, you've got you've got to run through the finish line here. Like, you know, we're, we're paid handsomely to play – a game, yes, right. And if you're not here to win, you're not here to finish through. Why are you playing this game? Exactly. He had every right. He had every right to say what he what he did, and I respected that, you know. But some guys' approaches isn't that way. Like they just they're out there just to get to get theirs and you know to get their money and live their life. That's fine. There are other people out there that are wanting to win. They want more than just money. They want to be a legacy or you know be remembered by something. You know. Mm-hmm. So that's how I've always felt. I've <laughs> I've always played the game hard and I've always wanted to win. I hate losing as much as probably anybody else does. You know? mm-hmm. In business, there's a good similarity there because uh, in a consumer services world, whether it be a retail environment or a restaurant environment, you have the same setting. You have to, the, the location doesn't operate unless the whole team operates. Exactly. But if your goal is just to collect a paycheck, then you don't really care. But if the goal is to strive or to, to achieve the next level of promotion or to be a leader – it's a tricky piece on how you set yourself apart from your from your uh, work teammates, um, and, and show whoever needs to be done that you're have the ability and the capability and the desire to be a leader. At the same time, propping the team up so you win together. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was in the restaurant business, I worked for a company called Texas Roadhouse. This was probably 1999. There was a grill cook. His name was D. Six foot eleven guy. Grew up in Senegal. <clears throat> one of the fastest grill cooks I ever saw. So steaks, chicken, burgers, so on and so forth. And you can just take them off the grill a few minutes faster than they should have been done. So medium steaks should take nine to 10 minutes. He'd have it done in six. And he'd be proud of himself uh, because his grill's empty and all the food's behind him where the next guy plates it up, puts the potatoes on, that kind of stuff. Um, but the food always came back because by the time it got to the customer, it was, often it was cold or it was overcooked or it was something because it was too good for the rest of the team. So in that particular time frame, we had to slow him down. He had to understand that it's supposed to take eight minutes for a reason because the process fails if the whole collective line doesn't follow the process. See, and I feel like the process, whether it's in baseball or it's in business, is huge. You have to go through the process mm-hmm. to learn like that. Just because you got it quick 
doesn't mean it's efficient, you know? So you got to make sure, in that sense, I feel like, you got to make sure your food is at least mm-hmm. somewhat right before you're getting it, you know, send it off, I feel like. So mm-hmm. it just, it, you got to take pride. I feel like pride is a big thing in anything that you do. You got to take pride in something and show that you're willing to to learn, to accept, or just to take in information and uh, just being coachable. And, you know, I say coachable, I don't know how business word for that in the restaurant business, but that's be, pretty accurate. Yeah. Being coach, <laughs> being, coachable, being coachable yeah. in my opinion, like mm-hmm. that's a big thing that especially a lot of younger kids now that I see, they just, they don't know how to be coachable. You know, they always think they're right or it's, you know, uh, I'm, I'm losing the, the what do you think? Like some, cause they're kind of used to being catered to, right. Mm-hmm. As they start to get a little bit better. So it's kind of, just they're kind of enabled to a degree. The soft mentality is the way I look at mm-hmm. it. It's just, if they don't win, it's let's throw a fit. Mm. The, the participation awards—that's my big, big pet peeve. You like, don't like those? No, I didn't like them. I didn't like them when I got them when I was a kid. Like, I didn't hang. I didn't hang them up on a wall. Like, you can ask my mom and dad. Like, I had all my trophies growing up. First place. I didn't even put my second place ones up. First place. First place. First place. I didn't want to look at second place. Like, I was never satisfied with that. But it seems like kids are just okay of just getting a little blue ribbon that says participation reward. I just I wouldn't do that to my kids whenever I have them. Like, I want them to learn the the value of working your butt off and receiving something that you earned. You know, and that's how my dad was. You know, if after a tournament we lost, it wasn't, "Hey, you'll get them next time, buddy." It was, "What can we learn from this?" You know, he was really hard on me like that, but I also think that helped me to mature a little bit uh, quicker and kind of have my uh, the right thought process on how I'm going to go about you know, my business in baseball. Yeah. Do you think participation trophies are, this is like a huge soapbox for me, but uh, <laughs> do you think these are creating a softer athlete? Yes. I do. I 100%. Truth bond is yes. Yes. So <laughs> I 100% do. You got to lose in order to figure out where, where you're you victory better. You ha- I, I, how many times have I talked about mm-hmm. this? You have to fail in order to really understand what the main goal and the purpose is. Mm. If you sit there and you succeed, you succeed, you succeed, and then you fail... I feel like you're just you're setting yourself up a little bit for a huge, huge cliff. Down huge for letdown. Yeah. letdown. Yeah. So there have been so many people that we've known that same thing. Like they'd fail once and it off the deep end and they've never been the same because mm-hmm. they've never been told no or they've never never failed at something. One of the hardest things to do in business is have a location that's unsuccessful. Yes. Because you think of all the time, energy, effort, capital into it from just the resourcefulness of the capital to leasing or purchasing to the build out to the marketing to the hiring the development the talent the outreach the marketing the whole nine yards and then for whatever reason sometimes internally it's the fall sometimes externally it's the fall sometimes it's not the right timing the environment a location fails mm-hmm. it sucks i could imagine yeah. I, I could imagine in the business world <laughs> it's probably a hundred times worse than what i would go through as an athlete you know like it's probably about the same i mean think about how much time money and effort you've put into playing baseball and how many of the guys that you've played with have been released or retired i mean mm-hmm. they spent their whole lives their parents mm-hmm. spent a ton of money and they spent a ton of money a lot of their time that they could be doing other things and not a point in the participation God, truth is just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i mean it's it's kind of yeah, it's it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's kind of the same thing i mean yeah. you might not look at it that way or some people might not look at it that way but you're investing in a business but this is investing in your career yeah. and it's whether your parents did it with you all the way growing up. And then after college or before college, you're still investing and taking six months out of the year away from your family. 
and away from a job that you could have gotten if you would have gone to college and making more money, but you decided to go the other route and make far less money. <laughs> make a minimum wage. To, less to, make, <laughs> to make a bigger profit in yeah. the end. I do. When I tell people about that, the less than a McDonald's worker, they never believe me. I was like, I, I, I wish. I paid more hmm. into taxes than he made <laughs> some years. No kidding. Yes. I, wish I, had, I wish I kept a pay stub just so I could just show people like this, the glamorous lifestyle of the minor leagues that you think happens does not happen. So the competitive nature in business is probably, uh, I would say it's probably nearly as intense as it is in professional sports. I could, I could imagine it is. But, um, w- the thing I like about the competitive nature is it keeps you on your toes because mm-hmm. you know that if, if you don't wake up early that day and you don't give it a hundred percent, uh, um, and you don't have the foresight and the thought process, then somebody else will. Mm-hmm. And we have competitors in, in all of our brands that are massive compared to our size. Um, they have MBAs and doctorates and private equity groups and 20, 30 years in business. And here we are scrappy and young trying to make and figure it out still. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we know that we have to get up earlier and be smarter than them and be more resourceful and deal with limited uh, capital and limited energies and not enough time of the day. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a story. So I'll try to say the story without saying the company's name. We have four locations for tune at the Manly Salon in one concentrated area and in, in a competitor of ours opened up right in the middle of the four stores. Uh, three or more corporate-owned stores, and one's a franchise store. Uh, and when he's getting ready to open up, he said, okay, we got, what are we going to do to go after him? Right? You, you've got a competitor in our backyard. I drove past the location three or four times a day. It's on my way to my office. I'm way home from my office. Uh, my kid's school is right there. Uh, we have locations on both ends. The sports bar I go to is right there. The restaurant I go to is right there. It's like he followed me around and far saw where my habits were at and then said, I'm just going to open up where Anthony's at. <laughs> you know, nothing else just to get in his mind a little bit. So we're coming up with this game plan, like what we got to do. Do we have to do extra marketing? Do we have to? And the reality is, is that we just need to reinforce what we already did. We didn't, we made sure we didn't become lackadaisical. We reinforced the practices, the principles, the customer outreach, the attention we gave to the customers. He's getting very, very limited traction in terms of his sales. And all four of our locations are up over this time last year with coronavirus. So, yeah, we lost a couple of people that seemed to get a little too comfortable in their job, which is unfortunate to lose somebody. Um, uh, It probably happens a lot of times in sports where they just get a little too comfortable, a little too lackadaisical. They earned it, so they don't have to prove it again. Oh, dude, you can't imagine how many guys I've seen at least gone through that. They think that everything should be given to them, (laughs) nothing to prove. It happens a lot. I mean, it's again, it's a dose of reality, Mm -hmm. you know. You haven't tasted enough pain. Yeah. Without pain, there's no progress. 100%. You know, you have to have that because it, it's not that you uh, don't want pain. It's that you want the that intrinsic sensation of accomplishment when you do actually win because you've tasted loss. You've tasted failure. You've tasted the, oh, I'm better than that kind of thing. The disappointment. Yeah. That's my biggest thing is the disappointment. I, for years, it was, I can't disappoint my dad. And this is when mm. her and I were together still trying to figure out our lives and how you know, how we're supposed to kind of just go on our own path, you know, and it, it took me about the longest time to realize that, you know, it's not about disappointing, you know, at least my father or my parents at this point, it's like, they want to see me just happy, mm-hmm. you know, doing what I love to do and just knowing that I'm doing what I want to do and knowing that I'm going after my ambition. So but I do think that I, for me, I think disappointment was like a huge factor. Like I never wanted to disappoint anybody and especially myself or her. That's my biggest one now is I don't want to disappoint you. Right. You're a huge proponent of balanced foods. Uh-huh. 
Uh, do we need to bring in Dino Nuggets? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> he would sell y'all out. Dude, of I'd, be Dino Dino I'd be the biggest advocator of balanced food. Yo, this just in. Dino Nuggets. With the twist, they're good for you. They don't have all those trans fat, nothing gluten. Oh, my God. Don't say that. I would do it. That's no joke, though. It was Dino Nuggets. Dino Nuggets and pizza rolls. Not even really pizza rolls, but... We'd make our own pizza. We'd make our own pizza. We'd make our own Hot Pockets. Like, we were, like, really kind of into that little phase. Yeah. So, but we I did. also didn't know how to cook for a while, so... <laughs> yeah, you didn't know... You've come a long way with cooking and mm-hmm. just... You know, I give her a lot of props because, again, it is not easy to have to deal with, with me or the profession that I'm in. Yeah. It takes a very special person. So, I'll give you a little... Ba- like, a little background story about us so we had met in 2013 uh we had started dating in december you got drafted in 12 right in 2012 so i had met her about a year after i got drafted and i didn't tell her what i did as a uh as my profession or anything that how'd you guys meet (laughs) you want me to tell them go for it all right so we actually met on Instagram. Like any true millennial. Like any true millennial, we met on Instagram before. You slid in the DMs? Before, before DMs, DMs were a DMs. thing. But DMs weren't a thing then. To make it not sound bad in this way, but it was what really kind we of. met on the internet. What really kind of sparked our interest was our dogs. So she had Daisy, which is our little black dog, and I had my German Shepherd. I just got her after. That was my big purchase, by the way, was a German Shepherd after getting drafted. It wasn't a car. It wasn't a house. It was a $500 German Shepherd. That's and I tell that I, that's the best $500 I've ever spent. That was your Lamborghini. That was my, that was my Lamborghini to me. It's like, that's my pride and joy. So she had saw my dog on Instagram and, you know, we played the whole liking game, you know, I'm like, this is this girl. So I finally, we kind of like reached out and we talked and we, did you come across his profile? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he went to, I went to spring high school. He went to Klein Collins. So it was really close. I played softball all growing up. He played baseball, and so we had a whole lot of mutual friends. Oh, okay. Just from like the baseball, softball community, and I knew you a had lot. No of idea he. I I never knew no. who she was, but I, you said you knew. I don't think you really knew who I was no, either. I didn't know who it was like so we never really crossed paths, but we knew the same people. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like I would ask, and some of my friends like, oh yeah, I know her. I'm like, what you got? <laughs> oh, thanks. You're the big help, dude. So, <laughs> but our first date though, our first date we went to CC's Pizza. <laughs> And I didn't eat. I was she, so nervous not to eat. Wouldn't eat. I downed two whole pizzas by myself. Even that's then I, respect. Oh yeah. Even then, she well, you took down a barbecue and a Alfredo pizza. Yeah. Was it was like, my dang. carb day. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's how. So we met on that, and then we uh, we took our dogs to a dog park and it was a little date, if you want to call it that. And our dogs kind of hit it off, and then we kind of just stuck around. We kept texting. We kept talking to each other, and. I don't know when I dropped the ball on you telling you that I was a baseball player or not, but but we had dated, but we had dated that whole point, and then it's about three months, and like, hey, I gotta go to spring training. Okay, so we would go months without seeing each other, our first year. Like, yeah, months. we were. He had only dated for less than three months, and then he left. So and I didn't see him until May. Mm-hmm. He left in February, and I didn't see him again until May. Wow, like, that yeah. was a lot of our relationship, though. It was. I'm going and playing baseball, chasing the ambition and the dream. Not really like my paycheck's really going to help, but she was work. She was at home working, and you know the money that I would make, I tried to save up as much as I can so I could help out. 
And then when baseball was over, I'd come back home and I would get a job. So for me, it was, you know, doing baseball lessons with kids around the area. And my first year, dude, I crushed it. I, I, I made a lot of money just really? doing lessons, trying to help pay for rent. So being an adult, so you're having to become an adult, which sucks, by the way, being an adult. <laughs> <laughs> but had to do that. And then I did that for years, every like every year. And it was, Were you making more money doing that than yes, you were actually playing? I was. Get out. That's mm. crazy. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I, made, I made more money doing lessons outside of playing baseball. So... But, if but playing baseball but gave you the marketability to yes. be. The, yeah, I was like, oh, professional baseball player, got to give lessons to this guy. Yeah. So, but it also helped that I was a pretty well-known name around at least this area, so uh, that helped my, uh, I guess, market if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. But uh, so did a couple years of that. It was the same thing. It's like each year, it would we see a little uh, see each other a little bit more, mm-hmm. and then I finally hit a point. When I came home, I told her, I was like, I'm not going to work anymore. We had just moved into our, our house. Mm-hmm. And I told her that I, like, I was at a point in my career. I was like, all right, I'm getting close. I'm getting close to finally getting to the, maybe getting to the big leagues. I'm like, I'm just going to strictly focus on baseball. Mm-hmm. So I did that for a couple of years and we struggled a little bit. And then took a financial hit. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the, not, the not, not big, but just enough where it kind of just, it put a little bit of a toll on us, like just what money does. Money mm-hmm. does that to, to everybody. And, again, that's a thing that you have to go through in life, I feel like. And I feel like that's another reason why our relationship now is a lot stronger and better than it was in previous years. Like, we had a lot of rough patches just because of financial reasonings. And, again, not being able to see each other was another big factor. And there was never – we never had trust issues. I, I was mm-hmm. very, very adamant about what I wanted to do and – a lot of my teammates would go out after games, which I didn't know how they did. It's like, bro, we, like, so tired all the time. I was so exhausted. <laughs> how do you afford it? Exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, how do you like, how do you go out and do that and like do that to yourself? I just couldn't do it. Like, there are so many guys that I just lost in baseball because they just didn't know how to, ma- like, I won't even say manage, but just get their priorities straight. You know, that that's what happens to a lot of guys, in my opinion. So you think there needs to be better uh, business management or money management, but you at can't. least guidance? You can't, though. In that profession, you can't. It's who's willing to sacrifice the most. And mm-hmm. I felt like I, that's what I felt like I did. I sacrificed a lot of my, there's, I've, I sacrificed a lot of my time. Like there's, could've, there could have been things I could have been doing that maybe I wanted to do or I could have done, but I, don't, I still don't look back at it and regret any of it mm-hmm. by any means. But there's a lot of things that we both sacrifice. We've sacrificed mm-hmm. time together, of time to getting to really know each other and spending time together. So, and mm-hmm. again, that's something that I, I'm really proud that you've managed to stick through the, those really <laughs> awful years that we had to go through. Not mm-hmm. awful in the sense of that, but just in <laughs> the sense bad. of what we had to go through mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So when you realized he was a ball player mm-hmm. and he was going to spring training as a, as the girlfriend, as, as, as being at home, was there any level of distrust or just honest? I don't know if I'm gonna. I don't know if I'm gonna stick this out with a ball player. It was because the stigmas. Yeah, and, it was. You know, I. It was. I didn't necessarily not trust him. It was more everybody else trying to put stuff in my head. The right. first thing was that my dad didn't believe that he played baseball because I told him he played for the Miami Marlins, and he goes, "There, there's no such thing as Miami Marlins," and I was like. Yes, there is, and he goes, "No, it's the Florida Marlins." He's lying to you. He doesn't even know what the team's called. 
but they had literally just rebranded, so they had just changed their name. Yeah. My dad doesn't pay attention to the Marlins. He doesn't pay attention to the Astros. And so I was like, uh, you're the first person that's already doubted this. Okay, you're only the second person I've told. <laughs> Great, besides my mom. Um, but I had so many people trying to, like, just shove doubt in our relationship before we even before we even took off. I mean, and it was... Like, friend, like even friends that knew me were trying to put a stigma on me about how I'm such this crappy person when I'm like... How do you know? Like you've never been around me, dude. Like you just only heard my name. You've heard what other people said. That's not true. Mm. So, but I mean, we've uh, his mom and I actually talked about it yesterday. Austin and his dad are very similar in the fact that they give trust until it's needs to be taken away. Until it's broken, yeah. And then his mom and I are very similar in the fact where you have to gain my trust. Everybody starts off at, like, even level, but you have to gain my trust in order yeah. to get it. And he gained my trust very early. I mean, he, we had some bumps in the road a little bit early with some other girls that he was talking to early. And <laughs> we got those out of the way. And then after that, I knew that it was it was going to be okay. Was and like early on before it I was knew just, we were serious. You had to clear out the DMs, get, yeah. get rid of all the girls. <laughs> it was communication, <laughs> and communication has always been really big in our relationship. I mean, we never – we I mean – bicker like anybody else bickers and argue but we talk through everything we don't ever just let things fester Mm-mm. like that old thing like never go to bed angry we literally never go to bed angry and if we do go to bed angry we've at least talked it out yeah. before then i and also i know for me um if something's not right at home and like my wife and i need to talk it out i got to get that straight because yeah. my brain i just i'm held back like it, it just eats on you. Do you get do you deal with that too? Like it just, you got to get things right at home so you can allow yourself to have the ability to just. I don't know. I would like I I can't. Oh, you're in the. You're there in the was right. a lot with that. I would try and really make sure if we were bickering about something that we would clear it up before one of his games started, especially when I wasn't with him because I wasn't gonna be the one or the reason that he played bad, mm. especially because in the beginning it was him and his dad with baseball. Oh, God. And I didn't mess with baseball. Yeah. I even planned my trips around when his parents went so his dad could have his time with them. Yeah. Now we all go together. But it was their time, and I needed to make sure I wasn't in his the way because his parents just wanted to make sure, do what was best for him and make sure that I wasn't standing in his way. I wasn't yeah. going to make him be a head case, and that was my big thing. I didn't want to be in his way. I was never, even if we weren't going to work out, I didn't want to hold him back from his career. This was that wasn't something that I wanted to stand in the way of, even yeah. if we didn't work out. I mean, it yeah. took my parents. It took my parents a long time to really kind of grasp onto that. I feel like. I mean, that's you know, that's where any parent wants the best for their kid, and they don't want anybody else to screw it up. Yeah, it took my it took my dad the longest time to to be my dad versus being my coach as a kid. Dude, we butted heads so much, even when I was in the minor leagues, like. Like so, he would be able to at least listen to the games, or if there were when I got to Double A, he was able to watch every single one of the games. So, and there are times like, dude, he'd still call me after games. Hey, why'd you do this, 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 and this? And we would sit there talk every single game, and it got to a point where my mental state was just not stable enough. Where if I was having doubts of even playing baseball, and if I wanted to come home, so I finally sat there. Quit? I don't think I. I don't think I ever wanted to quit it was in my head I definitely had thoughts of like why am I still doing this why like just like any like anybody else when you hit like a low point in your career where nothing's going right 
you know, everybody's, not want to say everybody's against you, but you just feel like all the weight is just on top of you. And I felt like that in 2016. And I finally told my dad, I was like, be my dad. Don't be my coach. I don't need that right now. I need to talk to my dad. Mm. So, and him and I's relationship has built ever since that. And we still talk about baseball all the time. We sit there, we talk for about 30, 45 minutes sometimes after a game. And we'll just, you know, shoot the shit and, you know, talk a little bit. But he, he has definitely uh, transitioned to that role a lot better than I probably could have asked for. Was that t- So, you know, when you would go and play and then you come back home and it's just like family time, did your dad always – was it was he just always in that coaching position? Yeah, I remember. <laughs> we talked about it because our dads were just as similar. Like, as a kid growing up, after a game, like when I was like 8, 9, 10 – be times like if I didn't like do do the right thing, I'm getting an earful car from my ride dad. Homes were never the car fun. ride home as a child was not fun. Never fun. Like the talking about <laughs> my son dis- dis- uh, <laughs> disappointing your your father. Yeah, that's what it felt like. Oh, yeah. It was terrifying. You're sitting there like, God, dude, I hope he doesn't scream at me. Please don't scream at me. But it took. It, like I said, but I wouldn't say he did that to me in pro ball. But like, we would fight like that sometimes on the phone. You know, we would butt heads like really, really bad where we wouldn't talk to each other for like months. Mm-hmm. That was a month. Anthony, yeah. for, uh, let me ask you this, because uh, in the culture of the company and, you know, for you for going for years uh, through past ventures, there's a lot of people that have stuck with you, right? And, and there's part of your mantra, too, is you don't want to do business with those you just can't sit down and have a beer with and hang out with and be friends with. Um, for you, do you find it's easier for you to make a disconnect between business relationship and then after hours hanging out? And then do you feel like people have a hard time making that distinction too? No, that's definitely an opportunity. Uh, when we started businesses years ago, I made the, I went through the restaurant business, sometimes hating my bosses, hating my peers, dreading coming to work. And the thought process in that type of business is use your work time to get vacation from your your mm-hmm. spouse or your free time. And then your home life is your vacation from your work life, right? And you kind of toggle the two between. So would, when you open the door, you check out of your home life and you go into your work life and then vice versa. I didn't like the mentality because uh, why would I spend a third of my life with people I don't want to be around, Yeah. right? So whether it be some of the works in the company or a franchisee or a vendor or a business partner we have, my, our theory is if I can't say to have a beer with you, I just want to be around you. I just want to do business with you. I won't hire you. I'd, benefit of that is there isn't, a separation of family and business. It's all the mm. same, mm. right? So <clears throat> family works for us, uh, friends work with us, everything across the board. So our opportunity is when there's time that's not business related, Thanksgiving dinner is an example. How do you disconnect and not talk about the location or the project or the construction? How do you then push the business away and say, okay, now let's talk about some family stuff. Mm-hmm. It's unique. Those people are trying to draw the family into the business. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to sometimes push them away a little bit. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was kind of about to ask you, but like, how do you really separate that? Because I know with my my family, uh, all, pretty much my entire family, they're all in the same business. They they they're all in together, and it's constantly work, 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 work is not separated from the house. It, it's a constantly brought in. I'm gonna say like if I was in your shoes, I'd be the same. I'd feel like I'd be the same way that I'd feel like I want to at least have a relationship with my employees, but boundaries. Yeah, you know, I feel like the boundaries is like a huge portion of it, but. Like you talk about your work ethic, and I think that's huge about you showing your dedication to this company is probably going to reflect off how your employees go about their business. I to prove it first, yes. right? Mm-hmm. So it's nice because I can have 150 people over my house for a Christmas party or <laughs> Halloween party. We used to have a Halloween party a couple months ago, 150 people at the house. Um, and I trust every one of them. Mm-hmm. I have to have security. I have to lock things up. 
people that I work with, friends, family. Uh, b- biggest benefit around the friends and family being involved in the business, there's there's no entourage or mooching mentality. Yeah, They all are in their own keep. <clears throat> they work just as hard as I do, if not harder. <clears throat> they bring just as much to the table as I do, if not more. So it's not like I'm, we're not carrying any dead weight around. Yeah. Because uh, some people just want to be around. That's huge. I feel like you have to surround yourself with people that you're willing to be surrounded with and you know that you can count on day mm-hmm. in and day out. I think that's huge for any not when business. You're, not when it's up. Not when sales are great or you have <laughs> 10 to 1, right? Yeah. It's when you're getting your ass kicked. Yeah, Who's exactly. Steal the people that you know you can count on that you know that can get shit done. Yeah. I, I'm a big believer in that. So I'm also, I'm just like a big believer just surrounding yourself with with happy people, you know, like people that have the mentality to, you know, oh, rain's not going to ruin my day or, or just like the slightest something's going to ruin your day and you're going to damn the world and be pissed off of everybody, you know, like, you know, we've gone through that. Like there was just, there was sometimes there were just reasons why I just wasn't happy or, you know, something just ruined my day. And now I just look more of a brighter outlook on it. And, you know, going to church was a lot of it actually just kind of getting closer to God and, and just doing that. And, just kind of just giving myself up, you know, and just kind of letting everything out. Cause she'll tell you, I'm a pretty much bottled up individual. I, I let, th- I let things bottle up so much just cause Your I don't last case of emotion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there, like there's, there's been very few times where I've really let a lot of my emotion out and it's nice to have somebody to sit there and talk to about it. And you know, the vulnerable you feel vulnerable and I'm perfectly okay to do that in front of my wife and be able to sit there and talk about everything that I need to get off. Mm-hmm. So, so Sarah, you know, every time you probably get around people, it's, uh, you know, good to meet you. You know, <laughs> what's Austin like? How's Austin? Everything's about Austin. Everything's about Austin. <laughs> but there's a, a huge two thirds of Austin that is behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Kind of walk us through what it's like to be married in a relationship with a guy that's a pro ball player. It's not particularly easy. I mean, for a lot of wives of professional athletes, I mean, you have a choice of, if you're not living in the same city already, your choice is to stay and work mm-hmm. or to not and to go with them. So I I ended up leaving my job this year, but it gave it, and thankfully they let me come back every so often. But um, <laughs> Oh, they're awesome people. But I mean, that was really my choice because I can't do my job from home, but I mean, th- those were my options. My option was to see my husband or to not see my husband because mm-hmm. he's gone all the time. And it's just, it's a, it's a really hard thing to do. I mean, to be supportive of him when he's doing great and to try and, I'm a very, what's that word? Um, oh, I can't think of it now. I lost it. Um, but I think that I yeah, but, you know, whether it's love, whether it's commitment in the workplace, you know, commitment to the mission, it's easy to be committed mm-hmm. when everything's going easy, when the numbers are high, when the win and everything feels good. But love isn't really love. Commitment's not really commitment until your ass is against the wall, mm-hmm. until numbers are down mm-hmm. and people are bailing because it doesn't benefit th- them anymore. Love is love when it doesn't feel like love anymore. It feels like work, but that's part of that discipline of love because love is an action verb, yeah. right? But it's hard. When probably as a, as a per, like we all have an ego, right? And how long can somebody feel like they're just kind of behind the scenes? They're kind of mm-hmm. forgotten about and just overlooked when it's always, it's always about Austin. You ever have yeah. that point? It's like, Jesus Christ. Man, just, yeah, does, you does, want? does anybody actually care? Yeah. yeah. It's, I have a lot of that. I mean, there was times in the minor leagues that we would only talk for 
two or three minutes a day, maybe one or two text messages. Because, I mean, he would be on a bus all night long after a game, and they wouldn't get to the hotel until three or four or five in the morning, and he would be asleep. I would be up at work, so I couldn't check my phone. And then he would get to the field while the time I was off of work and could look at my phone. So he couldn't text me back. And so we wouldn't talk all day until after his game when I'm exhausted and I need to go to sleep so I can go to work the next day. And so I'm, and I'm exhausted from and his game. And so we would talk on the phone, literally just call and say, hey, I love you. Good night. And we'd hang up. We would have several nights like that. And it would go weeks and it would just I mean, it was it was hard on a relationship, but. Was that was the that was the up and downs that we went through, you know. The hard, I feel like that was the, a lot of the hardship of, you know, how how do you stick with somebody when you're going through with that? You know, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you, like, that's got to be hard on anybody. There's not a lot of people that can handle that. So but I'm just as superstitious as like any professional non-professional <laughs> athlete there is. Like I will, st- if he's getting base hits, I will stick in one seat until the game is over. I have burnt to a crisp in one seat because I got so sunburned because he played well. And after the game, I was just like, you're welcome. Was that in Round Rock? It was in Round Rock. <laughs> I oh, my God, I remember cried. that. I even went in between innings and went and bought a hat from, like, the other team because I was dying. I turned it inside out. I was like, whatever, I don't care. Yeah. So I was fried. But he ended up going three for four with two doubles and a home run. I remember so. I remember that because you were, so we were in and He even saw me. He was like, go in the shade. I was like, Mm-mm. So like, no. so anytime that she would come to my game, especially with the minor leagues, I would, I always look for her. I always make it a game and everybody's like, oh, it's a distraction. Like, no. I, it's like hide and seek. It's like hide and seek. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy being able to look at her and like, before I go to that. And I remember like our first, like our beginning in our relationship, when you'd come to my games, I'd do so crappy. Would never do good, and I was like, "Hi, ah, you don't need to come to the games. You just stay at home." Blah blah blah. Now, when she does come to the games, I always try to find her, look at her, smile at her, or whatever. Even if I'm not doing good, it makes me feel a little bit better about myself. But I, I remember that game because you were literally the right behind our dugout, and I'd look at you. I told you, "Come in the freaking shade, dude." I <laughs> am. Yeah. What's probably the one of the biggest things that you've had to learn or adapt to, or find within yourself, Sarah, to be able to not give up when it's goes weeks without being able to see each other. And just even the days of, Hey, I love you click. There's that, that emotional part where it's, it's like, can I do this? Patience and learning that it's just, it's, it's going to be okay. Like it's, I'm, I'm a very needy person when it comes to Austin, anything else. I'm not needy. I don't need anybody else. I need, I need Austin most of the time. In what way? Just mentally, mentally. And I just, I like, I don't really like to be alone. And if I am, if I say I need alone time, I need alone time with Austin. I don't have to talk to him. (laughs) He can just be in the same room as me. But if he's just near me, I'm happy. But if he's not around and like, I would be by myself all the time at the house with the dogs. It was just, it was very sad. I mean, we live in a, it's not a big house, but it's a three bedroom house, but a three bedroom house with two dogs just seems very large. Especially Mm. when I'd only, I'd go home and I'd just go into our room. Yeah. And Cooking for one person is never fun. So if y'all could have been around a couple of years ago, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been wonderful. We would have cooked less. But it was, it took a lot of just patience and knowing that it was going to work out. And I knew that it was going to work out, whether it took him the amount of years that it took him, whether he was never, didn't make it in 2018, he was still in the minor leagues. Mm-hmm. I knew that he was going to make it and it was going to be worth it in the long run. So I just, I just had to wait. 
So you would imagine, you know, whenever I got my first phone call, you know, get finally getting called to the big leagues, like call my parents, you know, mm-hmm. all that. Like, I, she was the first one I called. She's been a part of every single journey as much as I have been, yeah. you know. And as much as I think my parents probably got a little upset about it, I was like, I spend more time with this was and the, my the, wife. And at this point, she had no idea, but I've already was planning on proposing to her. Oh, so you what, guys were be- before mm-hmm. before I even got called up. Okay. So like my sister and my mom already knew. They helped me pick out the ring and everything. And then, you know, it almost was like a you know storybook telling about you know getting engaged and you know, getting called up to the big leagues. So that's a movie waiting to happen right there. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. People, are, yeah. So, but yeah, like I said, it's like it's a storybook. But like even then, like. FaceTime or called her. She's crying. I'm crying. You know, like it was, it was a very an emotional day. And to know that I find like all the hard work I put in was, was finally getting paid off for that moment. And did you know that that may be happening? I did. I don't know if he did, but I did. What? That you were getting called up. I didn't. So I, I did because I was like a Twitter troll I and I would know. keep up with everything. Wow. And I saw that they had just <laughs> traded. You were or you still are? No, I don't get on Twitter anymore. Liar. It's not baseball season. Why would I get on Twitter? (laughs) (laughs) I don't care right now. Um, I saw that they had just traded one of their pitchers to the, I think it was the Angels. And so there was a 40-man spot open. And Austin had been killing it. And there was, like, there was no way they were calling anybody else up over Austin. If they were, I was going to lose my absolute mind. Which had happened. Several times. Several times. I almost lost my mind all those other times. But I kept my cool. (laughs) But as soon as I saw that, I was like, there has to be a chance. There has to be a chance. And he had already taught, he had already called me and they were going to go to like dinner or something and cookie Canucks in Memphis. And I was already like in bed. I was going to go to sleep. My phone started ringing. It was like after midnight and I was like, this has to be a phone call. It has mm. to be I was like, there's no other reason he would be calling me right now. And here we are. So how did, when you get called up, walk us through that entire process. Like, so like new I, contracts, like what all happens with that? So ironically enough, uh, we were in Memphis, which is the AAA affiliate for the Cardinals right now. now. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, the irony. I irony <laughs> right there. But we were, I was in Memphis. The game was over. And I showered up. You played all, very badly. I played very bad. I, I didn't play. Yeah, I played very badly <laughs> that game. And I was so worried wasn't happy. So we leave. Call my teams. We go out to Cookie Canucks, which right down the street next to the stadium. And as immediately as I sat down to get a phone call from my manager, I didn't even have his phone number. And I'm sitting there, like, he's calling me. He goes, hey. Your business manager or, or your team manager? Our team manager. Okay. So he calls me, hey, it's Arnie. Need you to come back to the office. I was like, all right, cool. Okay, so was that like a, oh, shit. Am no, I that was a, that, like, I sat there and said that. It was like, okay, it's happening. Oh. Like, you kind of you kind of knew. Gotcha. I kind of kind of had a feeling I knew. And I, in, in my mind, I was like, eh, no, it's not, whatever, you know, yeah. still nervous. So I go back into the stadium, go into the office. All the coaches are in there. So he was trying to make it seem like I was in trouble, and then he finally, like, told me I was getting called up. Really? <laughs> yeah, told me I was getting called up. And I had built a really good relationship with all my coaches that year, and it was really cool to experience it with them and then some of my teammates that were still there from after the game. And, you know, it was it was just so cool just to – finally hear that but it didn't really kick in until I got to the stadium uh we were playing the Braves that day so I got on a red eye that morning flew to Atlanta and then I was at the ballpark at like maybe 12 30 or one o'clock before anybody else was there and I sat there for about two hours until somebody had showed up 
and then got all my stuff, got all my gear, got dressed. Did they ever have a locker set up with all your stuff there? Mm-hmm. How'd that feel? Like that had to feel so, so cool. It was so cool. Yeah. I sat there taking pictures of my jersey, sending it. I'm like, this is unreal. And but like as soon like it, it didn't like until you stepped out into the field and you saw everything, you're just like, holy man. It was it was unbelievable. I think the more memorable one was uh getting my first hit, which was the next game we played, which uh Saturday. it was a home run, wasn't it? It was a home run. It was I did uh, my research. <laughs> <laughs> we were in uh we were in DC. Phenomenal, yeah. one of my favorite ballparks to this day so far. That was actually a question from one of our uh, followers. What was your favorite stadium that you've ever played in? I wouldn't say that was my favorite stadium, but it's one of mine. But uh, so, but we were in DC, and then I like we were facing Max Scherzer that day. So I think my first year, I got faced every freaking good pitcher that year. It was unreal. So we faced Scherzer. He gets out in the sixth inning. They pull in Trevor Gott, and that was my like last at bat, I think, and then. 2-0, threw me a fastball, and I just absolutely crushed it. And, like, it, like, that that whole moment, you grow up as a kid, like, that's that, that's what everybody wanted to do, like, their first hit being a homer. So, I got to be a part of history with that, and it was, you know, everybody knows that, too. Not, like, people that have asked me about being a big leagues, and like, oh, yeah, what was your first hit? Homer. No way. That's so cool, dude. Yeah. So. So, when you, when you walked out of that dugout, it was your, it was your time to be. Oh, uh, dude, my heart was. Did you want to pass out? It was on a different level. I can't imagine. So here you go. I'll give you a little uh, history buff here too with that. So my first game, uh, we had got into a brawl in the first inning. <laughs> before my at first bat, pitch. Before, the very first, first, pitch. first pitch. Before I even got in that bat, we got into a brawl. You can go look it up too. So and I, I'm out in the outfield, and I, he gets hit. You know, I turn back around. I'm kind of looking in the stands, and it's packed there in Atlanta. And then I kind of turn back around, and – Benches are cleared. I'm like, oh, shit. And I started sprinting just to get in the pile. I wasn't going to do anything, you know, but I was just there. <laughs> I'm not going to stand out here either. I'm not going to I see the guys with the bullpen running. I'm like, oh, damn, I got to run in real quick. <laughs> so that happens within a matter of minutes from the game starting. And I'm already sitting there. My heart's racing. I got fans in the outfield telling me that I'm a piece of shit, that, you know, like – it's my first. I don't know what to do. I, Guys, I, I'm new. I, I, I didn't do anything, dude. Yeah, but no, that was, like again, can't can't sit there and regret that or wish something else happened. It's it's a part of me now. It's a part of my experience. Part of my storytelling to you know to tell people about all this. You know, like and that's one thing about uh, about playing baseball, dude. There is always stories to tell from things that you've experienced and you know have you know and other people that have talked about like. I, I love the fact that I can sit there and I can remember something that happened like a couple years ago. It was just so funny. And, you know, and other guys exchange their stories and we just sit there and we kind of shoot the shit and talk about that, you know? Mm-hmm. So when you're, you're coming up to bat and you're, you're warming up, swinging the bats, is there like inside going, Oh shit, Oh shit, Oh shit, Oh shit. <laughs> like, like this is happening. Oh my God, this is happening. My fir- I felt like I was going to throw up before really? first <laughs> at bat. my first at bat 100% like that first game. Yes. And then once I finally got my first hit, it kind of went away. And then now it for you, maybe not, but for me now it's just like, it's like kind of just second nature. So, Okay, know. so everybody talks about the first hit was a home run. What about your first strikeout? How'd that feel? <laughs> Just like any normal strikeout. Yeah. But uh No no different next level pressure. 
No. Yeah. No. The game's so much harder. Like each level you go up, and especially that level, you're facing the elite of the elite. You know, the one percenters that we talk about. Mm-hmm. Like that. Like it's almost expected for you to not do well. You know, mm-hmm. it takes a very rare bunch of guys to stick around there for ten plus years to do what they do. You know, and you want to be a part of the elite group. You know, mm-hmm. but. I will say, not my first strikeout. If you go back 2018, I was Max Scherzer's 300th strikeout on the year. <laughs> 2018. Nope, 2018. That felt good. I was. He had signed <laughs> to be a part of history. Uh, <laughs> I was also strikeout 294 that game as well. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Dang. So our uh, our uh, backup. You're welcome and you're welcome. <laughs> our backup our backup catcher uh, was his catcher for years and in, uh, in Detroit. So he had got him to sign me a ball. Max Scherzer says to Austin, "Thanks for being Mister Three Hundred. Couldn't done it without you." <laughs> That's cool. And I have it. I have it in a case. Yeah. In my house. But I talked to him after that. Like super cool about it. Like, and he, you know, said, "Thanks for being like a good sport." I was like, "Dude, yeah. I don't care. Like, congratulations. Like, we'll be on Sports Center for next couple of years. You know. Yeah. Whatever. So. So I got a question from one of our Instagram followers, uh, and this is the Jonathan Burr. <laughs> no, I think you know him though. Oh right? my gosh. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he's one of my friend's nephew that uh, him and I play Fortnite together. Do you? Yeah, oh. I I give him I give him my bats. So he's he's a good friend of mine. So his question is the best major league baseball player that you faced that I faced. Mm-hmm. Gosh, all of them. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, God, I mean like Max Scherzer, Jacob Degrom. Like, oh, dude, that entire division that I was in was just with elite talent. You know, just. Uh, if any, if anybody, it would have been uh, Steven Strasburg in 2019 mm-hmm. was the best uh, pitcher I ever faced that year. Yeah. Literally couldn't touch him. Couldn't really? hit the ball past the mound, actually. No Could, Couldn't touch him that year. If he touched him. He was, he was by far the best in my he opinion. He did very well that year. Uh, what coach do you give the most credit to? This was a question from Hunter Bazan on Instagram. What coach do I give the most? Mm-hmm. Dude, probably my dad, to be honest. Yeah. And my, like, like I said, like my dad sacrificed him. My, like my mom sacrificed so much money, time on the weekends. Is, you know, he for like forever he will be my my coach, obviously. But like I give him probably the most the most credit just for. Oh yeah, and Mike Stanton. You got lots of hours of Mike. Lots of hours of Mike Stanton. Uh, Mike Stanton. If you guys don't know, he was a twenty year big league pitcher. For the Yankees, the Braves, the Reds a little bit, but he is my hitting a pitcher is my hitting coach in the off season. Really, and we a lot of people kind <laughs> of sit there and go, "Why do you do that?" Well, we get more just a different, different side of what he sees, you know, versus what I'm thinking. So we kind of just get on just a different level of like, as a pitcher with a guy that's had just years of experience of being in the big leagues and facing Barry Bonds, Griffey, this the elite hitters of the of the '80s and '90s. So. You know, we'd sit there and we'd talk, you know, things that he would look for, things that he was thinking and he was going to be doing, you know. So we get, I get more of the pitcher side from him. And, you know, I feel like that's had a huge, huge play in my career, you know, just being with him for since I've gotten drafted. And that's, we've been going for eight years now. Mm-hmm. So him, my dad, I give them the best Spend credit. Lots of nights with Mike. A lot of nights. Like, there's nights we he wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to get until about 9 o'clock at night. And I'm his last guy and he stays up. You know, with me, time yeah. away from his wife as well. So, you know, he's sac- we were earlier today. Yeah, literally right, <laughs> oh, really? right yes. before this, yeah. I was just with him. So, again, oh, you were doing batting practice, weren't you? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, okay. 
he takes just as much as credit as, uh, as my dad does. Mm. So January 15th of this year, mm. or was it 14th, um, you got traded mm -hmm. from the Marlins to uh, St. Louis Cardinals. Did you know that was coming? No. Really? Not at all. The whole Because you're just kind of a commodity in, in sports, right? Mm -hmm. In baseball. You're just like, you're being traded like a, like a card. <laughs> Right, <laughs> as bad as that sounds, yes. Yeah. Uh, but that's the business. I don't side. need to minimize. I yeah. No, it's, no, no, no. I see that it's, it's the business side of baseball that nobody talks about. You know, just like how their how business have to operate, they have to do the same thing. But it's just kind of trading people. <laughs> Is it more of a salary cap thing, or no? Because there's no salary cap in baseball. We're the only sport that doesn't have a salary cap. Wow, mm -hmm. just what the owner can afford. Yeah, yeah pretty just much what they want to spend. So right. being being traded, it was out of nowhere. Uh, I had got. Uh, designated for assignment. So what that means is I had basically gotten taken off the 40 man from the Marlins. And so during that seven day period, teams are, can either trade for you or uh, claim you off waivers after about four or five days. So I was going through that pro uh, that process pretty much jobless at the time. And it had been day four, day five. And, and I was already not doing so well, just, kind of upset the fact that I was, you know, no longer probably going to be with the Marlins and then spent years with them, you know, being drafted with them. And, you know, a lot of my teammates that I've grown up and uh, like gone through the system that were in the big leagues as well, built a great relationship with them. And, you know, that part, like saying goodbye to that part kind of sucked, you know. But uh, but I finally I got a phone call from my, my agent. He goes, hey, heads up, you're probably getting a phone call from the St. Louis Cardinals. I was like, no chance. <laughs> like, there's no way. Because we were like, you know, we were talking maybe Detroit, Baltimore, like Kansas City, Kansas City teams that needed an outfielder. Mm -hmm. And then uh, get the phone call from our uh, the GM from the Marlins and told me that I got traded to St. Louis Cardinals. Got a phone call five minutes later from that GM. And just, just calls like the rest of the just week, the whole week from the from the manager all the way down to the strength coach, like welcome me in and. Yeah you know, basically congratulating me on being a part of this. And it was very welcoming. And I told her, I'm like, this is nuts. Like, this is incredible already that uh, that, that many people have already reached out in, the, in that organization. So within the first week, I had, I had already had emails from the family relations people as well. Wow, Like really? giving us, giving me the information, like their communications with them. Like it was just, it the was, way, it was, the it was way just they, very different. It was very welcoming, very family-like. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, the way they go about their... Uh, the way they go about their businesses, uh, in my idea, is ideal. They they truly care about you, and they not so much of the more just different culture. Of the it's Marlins. just it's just different. Like every like I'm not trying to shit on them by any means, but it's sure. just a very different. Uh, I feel like there's more open communication with yeah. the Cardinals. It's just like even there was a when he got hurt after COVID, he was there was questions about when he was going to be reactivated after his ten day. Um, on the IL and he asked one of their trainers about it and they were like oh well this is we're gonna they gave him some like reasoning and the next day the GM called him mm. to explain to him what was gonna happen yeah that would have that would never, never have happened, happened with the Marlins, with the Marlins. Again, not to and I mean on some, well just some people just run their business a little bit differently and they're they're, uh, they're John Mosaic is just very he wants to be personable he wants to have a good relationship with his players and it the, was the communication the communication nice. portion of that organization is perfect it was a perfect amount of no like if i need if i need an answer or if i if just have a question it, i can easily call somebody and it's no big deal and like you know usually when you get your phone call from a manager you're kind of like oh shit oh shit oh shit oh shit 
very personal, like, how you doing? Like, and all this stuff, giving you an update, asking about your well-being, like, genuinely caring. Like, we got a phone, I got a phone call every day from my manager when I had COVID. How are you doing? How's your wife doing? All right, if you need anything, call me, let me know. So, like, that, that to me is huge, you know. Mm-hmm. I think probably 80% <clears throat> of the staff have his uh, cell phone number. That's good. I think that's good. You should be able, it should be <laughs> yeah. able to, like, if you need, like, if you need me, call me. Yeah. I like that. It's an open door, but I also know the boundaries of when and when not to call somebody about that, you know? Right. Because yeah. the communication is a key part, but I, you know, uh, it was the first time I've ever seen a company where the CEO was so directly connected to all staff. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like just my direct reports, but it was everybody. I mean, his phone goes off all beat. Like I hear his phone all day. <laughs> I can imagine it's so hectic. Huh? <laughs> it's insane. So how much did COVID like really affect you guys? How much? So we have, I mean, between the three brands, we have tune up <clears throat> manly salon, martinis and manicures, the women's retreat and balanced foods. Balanced foods is only two months old. Yeah. And we have pretty big aspirations. So we opened it January 5th and the goal is to get to nine locations in the first year. Um, obviously when COVID hit sales dipped in that brand, um, because every restaurant became our direct competitor. We're the only company in the entire area that did healthy takeout meals. And we we're competing with uh, every single Mexican restaurant doing, here's a free margarita if you just come buy a fajita, mm-hmm. right? I and then, and then rest, I took that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, during, you know, during, during a pandemic, the people that, you know, during a pandemic, people that are wanting to eat healthy and drink water goes to almost zero. Yes. Right? People are more focused on uh, kind of the getaways, the alcohol and the mm-hmm. consumption and, and the easy button as opposed to being disciplined and staying healthy. In, in the healthy food business, March, April, and May are really the three months to shine. Mm-hmm. January, it kind of just gets back in the routine. February is a little bit clunky, short month. Valentine's Day in the middle. Uh, so our time to shine was supposed to be March, April, and May. That's when we were going to just have this explosive growth. So it kind of got X for the year. We'll end, this, we'll end the year at three locations uh, with three more in construction. Um, so a little bit underwhelming in terms of the development growth. Um, but the brand's rock solid. Mm-hmm. What that allowed us to do, the fortunate part, was allowed us to make sure we had the next few chapters writ- wrote that we just had to execute on it. Mm-hmm. Trying to build a company from scratch and then scale it very, very fast in a short time frame is tough to do because you almost feel like you're building the plane as you drive it, yeah. as you fly it. So it gave us a little bit of a time to go through and refine our vendors, refine our ingredients, refine the recipe, make sure the consistencies are in place, the right team's in place for the growth. Um, actually get the extra delivery vehicles before we open up citywide delivery. Uh, that, that right there, I felt like was huge, especially yeah. for y'all. There's not very many healthy food delivery places yeah. anywhere. Well, that's something that wasn't even our business plan, yeah. right? Our original business plan was we have a five-mile radius around the store, and that was our delivery radius. So each location would have one small delivery vehicle and only deliver within five miles of the store. Hopefully to try to work with gyms or fitness facilities or those types of areas, yoga studios, kind of deliver food to that direct specific mm-hmm. client base. Um, people want the healthy food across the whole network, and they don't feel comfortable putting that responsibility in the hands of someone that makes it in LA and then dry no. ships it from FedEx to your door yeah. two days later. That's not fresh. And it sits in the Houston heat in yeah. July for all day long while you're at work. No matter how right? much ice you have in it. No matter how much ice. It's going to matter. It's not fresh. Mm-hmm. So that's that was a, kind a of a blessing thing. there. And that's as we grow, we're growing into Tampa now. And as we grow into Tampa and other markets, we'll have that citywide delivery out of the gate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit of pain in the butt in terms of insurance and vehicles and you know licensing and permitting, but definitely worth it. Yeah. On the tuna brand, we had to go through a shutdown. Tuna for martinis and manicures, one of the exact same, uh, really between March seventh and March twenty third, and depending on the county, when the county decided to shut us down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Montgomery County was the last one to shut us down. 
Uh, we were shut down March 23rd all the way until May 1st. So 40 days. It took us four and a half years to build. We were at 48 stores then. Four and a half years to 48 stores um, and 520 employees yeah. in two weeks to bring it to zero. I, I will definitely say the way how <laughs> the government and how everybody handled COVID this year was not ideal. No, it wasn't ideal. But I, again, you, I do condemn the people that... that one of the biggest did, frustrations did on my side was the uncertainty. Yeah. I had to look at 500 people and say, I'm, I'm not sure it's going to happen next week. Yeah. I hope to have you back. I just don't know when. And again, and that's something that you've had to face as a business owner of having to, to deal with that, the, the, the unknown, you know, and it was kind of like that with us. We had no idea if we were going to play this season. We kept doing the back and forth. Like it was like, Hey, we're going to be maybe two weeks and then we get back. One thing that was great. You kind of talk about the, the teammates and the working relationship and the friends and the business partners and the family and such. Um, uh, and when you're up against the guns, when they really either are with you or they're against mm -hmm. you. And the team had a pretty good chance of mass exodus because mm -hmm. uh, I took a pretty strong stance against uh, the shutdown. And I mean, we sued the state of Texas, sued the governor direct. I was on the news a couple of times, front page of uh, Franchise Times Magazine with a free hugs too soon t-shirt on in <laughs> uh, red Nike Air Maxes. So I took a pretty, so good. Love you that. know, there, there wasn't a, in the spa beauty yeah. Self-care area. There wasn't anybody else that was really steadfast against reopening and letting us do our job. Yeah. And I was proponent because we were the best in sanitation and quality and care mm -hmm. beforehand. And the things that the stylists and the cosmetologists and barbers deal with every single day is nearly mirror yeah. to COVID. So for people that haven't been to tune up, the social distance protocol, if you want to call that, that's already a, a applied there, in my opinion. Yeah, where you do it. Yeah. So this you know. is this is just kind of coincidentally. Sometimes you fall into some dumb yeah. luck. Uh, when we were designing it, I always didn't like being next too close to the next guy. No. Mm -hmm. I don't want your hair on me. You're gross, and I don't want your hair on me. So I'm we offended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so initially we had these kind of stainless steel dressers, and we changed them into toolboxes to fit the brand more. But we wanted a big distance. Mm -hmm. So from the center of a chair to the center of a chair is eight feet. Whereas if you go into some of our competitors, it's about three feet. Yeah, like a normal barber shop, it's like. On yeah, yeah. Top. I, I yeah. never, never liked that. So it gives the barber and the stylist a little more room to work. Yeah. They get their uh, own little personal time to whatever they want to talk about. Yeah. They might stink. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. <laughs> I know there's time or two that I've gone after workouts too. I know I didn't smell pleasant. <laughs> I felt so bad for ever cut my hair that day. <laughs> so bad. Yeah, but it took a. I mean, it took a bit of a, a recovery, you know, just from the team and getting the momentum back up and. Mm -hmm. It was, uh, and I, I think, you know, that may correlate uh, just from, uh, you know, the majors, any any team for that matter, trying to figure out how they're going to have a season through this, how we're going to have a company through this, uh, you know, the, some of the government funding, and, mm -hmm. you know, now we've got this new stimulus package, and uh, a lot of companies just couldn't make it, you know. So from a competitive standpoint, like you say, we're able to get some vehicles that, you know, the company was downsizing, and we took advantage um you know it was uh it's been weird on one hand you see a lot of small businesses close uh, on the other hand you see others that were able to at least come through it a little bit mm -hmm. are able to to kind of take that and continue to grow um but like for you guys uh like one of my curiosities was well if there's no season clearly there's no ticket revenue there's no average there's no airtime revenue how are you going to afford to pay, pay all these players? Exactly. Think about guys that have millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars, making 20 millions a year. How are you supposed to pay those guys? So, like, even then, like, we all had to take a pay cut this year. You know? Really? 
you know, we'd, nobody got paid the exact amount that they were supposed to be. So we took a pay cut just to be able to play this year. And that was our agreement with Major League Baseball is to be paid for the days that we are playing. So we got paid for the uh, – how many games did we play? 130 or – no. How many games did we play this year? 60 games. Was it 80 or some? However many games. We got paid for those days and those days alone. So wow. – and we wanted to play more games because that's how you get paid. Yep. That's how it's always been. But this the back and forth that we had with MLB is – it was just like – prying like not your teeth out of your, somebody's mouth like it was it was difficult like we never knew like what was going to happen and when we were going to go back if we were going to go back like it was just ongoing and it was very stressful we lived out of suitcases at our own house because yeah. we didn't For know months. whether to unpack or to just stay packed because yeah. i didn't want to unpack everything i had packed to go to st louis because yeah. i was like took a long time to get all this in here i don't want to take it all out and put it back in yeah. but we ended up having to complete i mean we were home for so long then home for two or three months i felt like right mm-hmm. two or three months and this is when like gym. this is when texas was in its lockdown phase so gyms were not mm-hmm. accessible <coughs> and that was a thing that we had to do is we had to consistently keep working out like we were it's not like hey we're on vacation it was like yo y'all need to keep working out be ready for whenever you get the call so we can go back so the trainer that I'm with right now, he lives right next to the place that he owns. So he was not allowed to even open the facility no matter what. So he ended up making a makeshift uh, gym in his garage. And we would have we would go, you know, two people at a time and he's got hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of people. So and we somehow he somehow we managed to do it and we would go and we go work out in his uh, garage. Go do that and go hit at a place that was very sketchy. We had to open up all the doors just to be able to see <laughs> him and one of his other like buddies that he works out with. They hit a light and the light ended up falling yeah. in the middle of them hitting. Just yeah. like, but so their had, normal had, places yeah. were all closed. You just had to make something work yeah, in order to, to work yeah, out. We had to make do with what we had, and you know, that's something that like no, again nobody talks about. Nobody knew that we went through that. You know, we tried every single like every way possible to you know kind of make everything back to normal, and it's you kind of couldn't. It was all at the point, like, oh, you can get fined for not following protocols, you know? Like, this is when we were at, like, a low point in time in America, I feel like, you know? So just when things were not being handled the right way, in my opinion. So. Was that across the board, even with ownership? Like, because it, it kind of sounds like, even for us, like, you know, that Major League Baseball is kind of like the governor, and the gov- they're dictating what you can do when players or teams are like, um, well, I mean, don't like, really agree. If you remember the whole, de- like, debacle, like, earlier this year, it was – oh, the players are being greedy, players are being greedy. It's like, well, no, we're not. Like, you know, it took us however many years for us to get to the position that we are, like, we're in. And there's the perk of being a professional baseball player is being paid the money that, you know, that you are getting paid for. Mm-hmm. You know, you've earned that, in my opinion. Yeah. And so that's what, what the big stigma was, is Major League Baseball was very obviously making a point to – play as few games as possible so we wouldn't be getting paid. So in my situation, I make league minimum. So I wanted to play as many games as possible so I can yeah. make enough money in the offseason so we could be financially secured. You know, that's how I looked at it. Mm-hmm. So the owners and the commissioner, they're all they're all in on everything, you know, like but it's nothing that we can I can do about it. Like I I have no say in anything and yeah. kind of just kinda have to go with it, like go with the roll with it, you know what I mean? So, you know, with the career uh, playing a sport, 
Um, you're going to have so many years that you can play. Some guys have been playing it for 10, 15 years. Um, do you often ponder and consider, like, what am I going to do after this game? Oh, every day. Yeah. I always sit that. That's, like, part of my anxiety. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. I sit there all the time thinking about what would I do after baseball. And, you know, we always get asked about, like, you know, hobbies and stuff like that. And people are, like, genuinely, like, like not curious, but, like, they just they sit there and, like, 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 was like, what do you do besides baseball? I do some graphic designing on my, I do like self-taught graphic design. I fly drones, love playing video games, you know. Piano, I noticed play, some drone footage you had on your Instagram, actually, yeah. from some vacations or something. That's yeah, from our honeymoon. Honeymoon, okay. uh, okay. while during spring training, like, I love flying my drone. Uh, I taught myself how to play the piano when I was in uh, seventh and eighth grade. Really? Oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. There's a lot of things that, like, baseball players do outside of baseball that it's actually very intriguing that mm-hmm. they're really good at. So uh, that's what I'd say. Like, you know, I got hobbies just like normal people do mm-hmm. and I enjoy doing that. So, you know, as far as what I would do besides baseball, it's, you know, it's still an unknown. Mm-hmm. Like you worry about it sometimes, but I kind of just live in the moment and try to, you know, whenever that time comes, I'll, I'll figure out what I'm going to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've got uh, a couple of things here. Of uh, I took some screenshots from Instagram. I want to get okay. a little backstory from some of these posts and uh, maybe give a little explanation okay. to uh, what this was all about. So this is apparently you in the dugout, and it was flooded. Yep. <laughs> so to kind of tell us about that. What, what's going on here? Uh, so I think that was in 2013. That was in Batavia, New York. So that stadium was built in 1937. Wow. So the uh, and it had gotten rebuilt back in '96, but the playing surface had stayed the same. Okay. So it wasn't a very good field. Like I played on, like some little league fields were probably better than that. Really? <laughs> yeah. The playing surface was terrible. Wow. So the stadium, being the, well, as old as it was, it had just absolutely downpoured that game. I was in <laughs> I was in left field, and I saw this huge black cloud behind me. And it was just a matter of minutes. And it started actually pouring in the outfield before it even hit the infield. So we're still playing. I'm getting drenched. And then it finally just slowly came over top of the stadium, and then it just stayed for like 45 minutes. And I guess our drain and our uh, in our dugout had got clogged, you know, dirt, gum wrapper, seeds, whatever, you know, whatever was on the floor. And uh, we started noticing it, and the water started rising, and it kept going. So some guys just wow. – some guys just kicked it and went to the <laughs> to the locker room. I stayed. That's funny. And you know, I made a joke of it, and I just so happened that uh, one of the photographers got that, and that picture got put in ESP in the magazine. Really? <laughs> they had called me that two days later, and said, "Hey, we're putting this in ESP in the magazine. We want to do a little interview with you about it." And you know, they asked me the same thing, like, "Why did you do it?" Blah, blah, blah. I was like, just, just to be funny, like that's that's. If you describe a picture of who I am, that's it. That pretty much sums it up. It's not the first time he's played in water in a dugout. <laughs> Swam in New Orleans. Yeah, uh, yeah, like in New Orleans, same thing. Like in New Orleans. Yeah, mm, yeah. Dugout got flooded, and it was one of those ones where it's like swimming in Galveston. <laughs> but in New Orleans, no, it's worse than it's worse than Galveston. <laughs> I'd rather swim in Galveston. That's pretty bad. But I so our dugout got completely flooded. So like our dugout and then we had stairs that went down into the tunnel back up and into the locker room. So <laughs> the dugout and the stairs leading up to the the locker room was completely flooded with water. And so I decided to go swimming with a floaty. With a floaty. Nice. Swam into <laughs> and then all the way into the dugout. 
So back. he got sick. Don't worry. He got sick. You got, <laughs> yeah. Tell him what's in there. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So this one, little backstory leading up, and what was this moment like? Not for you. Oh, I cried. You did? Yes. Well, okay. So his sister and him had been lying to me for months. Apparently, my ring had been sitting in her safe, and I was at her house all the time, and I had no idea. I would complain to her about him and rings and stuff all the time and it was there the whole time and she would just play along like oh yeah, oh, like, yeah. i can't believe Sisters he would do eat, that eating it up ridiculous oh. absolutely ridiculous they were lying to me this whole time we're on our way to his sister's house because we're gonna go to dinner it was on my birthday we were just gonna go to perry's for dinner but he they said that her mother-in-law wanted to do a champagne toast at sunset not far-fetched for her if you met her you would understand mm-hmm. um <laughs> And she wanted to do the champagne toast to toast Austin, making it to the big leagues, and it just happened to be my birthday. Again, everything's about Austin. Sarah's second thought happened <laughs> to be my birthday <laughs> was the thought process. And, of course, Austin played along like he was – it was a big deal. He's like, oh, I don't have to go do this. But then we're on our way, and he's like, hey, do you have an inhaler? Like, oh, dude, I was sitting you, there. Like, why do you get an inhaler? Racing. I was so nervous. <laughs> and then we had to stop and get, like, puffs or something for one of his nieces – because she was hungry, but they weren't ready yet. That's why we needed to stop. And him and his brother-in-law went to go fly the drone because he wanted to play with the drone before he bought that drone. And I was like, okay, whatever. I'll just ride over with Lauren. And we're walking up, and I'm complaining the entire time we're walking up because <laughs> it was humid. It was hot. We're having to walk through like this. That room. is so rich. It's like it was like su- it was heavily wooded where we were walking through at first. And I'm like, why are we having to go on a nature walk for this? This is ridiculous. And then there was roses on the ground. And I was like, geez, your mother-in-law's extra. <laughs> and I turn over and look, and she's gone. I was like, wait, where'd you go? And then I look up and I see a photographer. And I was like, wait, why is there a photographer here? And I look around the corner and I was like, oh. Oh, oh, it's happening now. Right now. Okay. This is happening. And I walked very quickly. Very quickly. <laughs> you were crying before you even got to me, dude. I have no idea what he said. Not, not even no. close. I couldn't tell you anything. N- not even a thing. I was just telling her about my comic book collection, and then she said yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Okay, so this one, I think this was actually your first Instagram post. That wouldn't surprise me. Ah, oh, yeah. Dude, so I was very notorious in high school with all my bats because they would. I hit the ball way too hard apparently, and they, they just broke. Like that's how it always was when I was a kid. Like with those like those metal bats, like growing up, mm-hmm. there was just so there was just so much like that they could take, and it finally just hit a point and they would crack. But that was just like that was just it was just very normal at the time for that when that happened. So when my bats were done, they just had these huge freaking cracks in it. You know, and the one, let's see, the one on the bottom, I had uh, I had cracked that one, and I thought it was a smart idea that I was like, you know, let's just go finish it off a tree, and I would sit there, and I was hitting off a tree, so I can just, you know. Gotcha, yeah. So. Shatter it. Pretty much shatter it, but yeah, those are, uh, dang. there's quite few more than yeah. just those three that I posted. Yeah, those aren't anger issues. <laughs> those are just. <laughs> well, I was wondering. <laughs> yeah, no anger issues. The the one on the right that happened during a game, I hit a ball and I just hear, Dum! and it completely, really? completely came and snapped. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you get you get uh, bats made, uh, or do you have like a bat? So I use a bat called uh, Victus. I'm not sponsored by them, but I've been using them ever since I got into pro ball, and you know I get as many bats as I need from them, and I've a, I've built a really good relationship with them that. You know, I can call. I can talk to the owner 
I can text them right now and just shoot the shit cool. with them. It's great people. You know, they've, they've same thing. They were nothing to start off with. And now, in my opinion, they're one of the best bats in the game of baseball. They've completely grown their brand from the eight years that I've been with them. Yeah. So, so two final thoughts, two final questions. Um, for any, any person out there, any player that is younger, has aspirations to, gosh, could I ever play in the bigs, right? Mm-hmm. What would be that if you could talk to your younger self when you were playing Little League or in high school before college recruiting and any aspirations of majors, what would be that piece of advice that would be that nugget, that takeaway to? I mean, for, for me, I feel like it's, if you have the aspiration for it, like, why not? Like, the worst that can happen is, you know, no. Mm-hmm. You know, after that, like, you can find, I feel like you can find something to to go on without it. But mm-hmm. I, at a very young age is that I knew that baseball was my passion and my dream. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I also think a lot of guidance helps with that. So your dad or just uh, just a role model to have is something good in my opinion. But mm-hmm. as far as advice, I mean, you know, you're never going to know if you don't do it unless you give it a shot. What's right. like, if, if you want if you want to be an astronaut, dude, be an astronaut. You'll mm-hmm. probably have different ambitions as you grow up, but... I, and I think that happens when you get to a certain age and you just, if it just, if it's just not your passion or ambition anymore, and then, you know, then don't waste your time Yeah. unless you really, really want to do it. And then you have to put the time and effort for it. Like I told you, like, I wish I would have started doing a lot more weight training, uh, when I was younger, just so I feel like I could have had a better competitive edge at the age of 18, 19 and 20. Yeah. So I feel like I got a little bit late to the game, but mm-hmm. I didn't think it affected me that much. As a couple, uh, you know, whether it's business or in business, you're you're a pro business player, right? Um, as, as a professional athlete, uh, what advice would you give Sarah when it comes to couples that are maybe new or getting married, and you know somebody's already kind of playing? There's kind of already in that that culture um, that can create wedges, create opportunities for being divisive. What what advice would you give for couples to be to be able to to stay strong through all of that? Communication. Communication is key. And realizing that him saying that he's tired is not a reason that him, he doesn't just not want to talk to you. He's actually just tired. Mm. And if he's not tired, he wants to play video games. He needs to relax. Like it's communication is really big and knowing balance and knowing that it's not all about you and it's not all about a relationship. You have to be, I mean, in all relationships, you have to be willing to give up something yeah to just I mean to compromise with everything and my thing with compromising was I wanted him to succeed like I said whether we were together or not I didn't want to be the reason that he wasn't going to succeed and I feel like you shouldn't hold anybody back with what they're doing whether it's business baseball whatever you should want to self-promote them self-promote yourself just promote everybody just communication and making sure that you're 100% behind the person and believe in them because if you don't believe in them and believe in what they're doing then you're going to think that they're wasting their time. As much as guys want to sit there and be this big, macho, strong guy, but behind closed doors, everybody's got a soft spot. And for me, my soft spot is being able to openly communicate and talk about, you know, what I'm actually really feeling to to somebody, and it's my wife. Mm. And, And I'm very fortunate for that, that I can be able to openly talk about what's on my mind, what am I feeling, how am I going to get through this, why am I not good enough, do you still love me? Stuff like that, like that stuff that just goes through p- 
people's mind, especially mine, just with uh, just trying to prove or just to be better or just to, you know, want to just to want to do my best. Like it, it's just being able to communicate with somebody, especially like that. So I'm, like I said, I'm very, very grateful that I got to meet Sarah, got to know her and to, you know, now to spend the rest of my life with and, uh, you know, we can talk about whatever really is on our mind. And I feel like a lot of relationships, you, they don't want to do that. We've had a lot of friends and couple friends that I've talked to and I know the girls are tired of the minor league life and they'll say, oh, I just wish that he would stop playing. I wish this or baseball isn't everything. And mm-hmm. I mean, there was probably a couple times in our relationship where I was just like, okay, well, like, when is this going to, like, when is this going to pay off? But we talked about if he didn't make it past whatever year, this is when we would talk about, okay, maybe it's mm. time to start looking at other things Options, to do yeah. and go down that way. But I feel like if you can't have, like I said, the communication, then you're going to have that resentment. And I've, we've seen a lot of couples that we knew fail because baseball is like probably the second thing in our life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, would agree. I mean, besides our marriage and God, I mean, second comes before every, I mean, baseball comes before everything. It just, it does. Mm. And I am okay with that because I know it's a part of my life and it always will be. Mm-hmm. Hey, awesome. Think? Great conversation. Mm-hmm. Guys, thank you all for coming in. It has been really super cool just kind of getting to know you both uh, since we met you know, a while back. But uh, really appreciate you taking the time to come and sit with Anthony and I and just kind of let us get to know you guys and okay. share your story. I mean, I'm t- that's what thank I'm you. telling you. That's what I love about baseball is that there's always stories to tell. So I feel like I've already given you guys my life story. But <laughs> it's a great <laughs> like, story. I know, I'm a pretty open book, man. I don't, I, I don't have a problem talking to people and I don't have a problem telling them you know, things that I've gone through, you know, I I enjoy doing that to inform people and just to, to know what it's like. Like there's just the things that you see maybe on social media is not what they are perceived to be, you know? So, so for people that want to connect or follow you, uh, how do they, how can they get into the circle (laughs) of, of of Austin Dean? (laughs) I mean, I'm on Instagram. I, I'm not very active on it because I don't like social media, but if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's at Austin Dean underscore three. It's a guy with a Cardinals jersey. It's hard, hard to miss. <laughs> but uh, no, but I mean, I do answer a lot of people on social media. I mean, I, I've had I've had kids ask me a lot of questions about, you know, certain things of, you know, how to get exposure or how to, you know, do this or do that. And, and I've talked to some of them. I've built some relationship with some uh, with just some different with some fans. And there's been a lot of people that that I've met along the way that, you know, care deeply about me and my career and hope I do well. So you know, if you want to ask a question or just everyone talk, just follow me on Instagram to ask me a question. Comment, easy. slide into the DMs. Slide in the DMs. It worked for somebody. <laughs> but I'm taking ladies. She manages her social media. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, guys, thanks again. I oh, appreciate, appreciate it. Thank you guys it. for having us on. This was a lot of fun. And just to be able to talk about our story and to be able to listen to you guys and obviously the COVID struggle as well. So um, I appreciate you guys having us on. Don't be afraid to ask us again. <laughs> awesome. <laughs>